Welcome to the Beyond the Pearls podcast, based on the Morning Report series from Elsevier. This podcast has been adapted for audio in collaboration with series editor Dr. Raj Dasgupta and the volume editors of each book. Each episode features an in-depth case dissection format and aims to deliver practical, concise, and easy-to-digest information. And now, here's today's episode. Hi, Dr. Raj here. And hopefully you're checking out one of two things. It could have been the podcast. It could have been my live video series. I don't know. But regardless, I'm in a good mood. What did we talk about earlier than this? We were talking about self-glucose monitoring. We're talking about GLP-1 agonists and why there's so many commercials about them. We're talking about hypertrophic cardiomyopathies. And now, you know what? I I can't resist. Two of my favorite topics are going to be evaluating low sodium. And of course, we're going to all jump in my car, not literally, and go to the ICU and talk about things like sepsis. So this 50-year-old woman is evaluated in the emergency department for a one-day history of hearing voices. History is significant for bipolar disorder. Uh, She's taking meds like lithium and quetonapine. Quetonapine goes by the brand name Seroquel. On exam, a patient is disheveled and looks chronically ill. She is alert and oriented, but appears anxious. Blood pressure is 138 over 78, heart rate is 80, and there's no orthostatic changes. There's no edema. The remainder of the exam is normal, which of the following is the most likely cause of this patient's hyponatremia. Now, before I read the choices, I got to give you the labs. Now, it's always about the labs. So if you're listening to a podcast, this should motivate you to go to beyondthepearls.net to get more info about this and see the slides. But I gave you the basic metabolic panel. The BUN is normal at 6. Creatinine is 0.9. Uh-oh. The sodium is 126. Potassium is 3.5. Chloride is 94. Bicarb is 26. Glucose is normal at 156. But uh-oh. There's urine values. And any time they give you urine values, everyone gets a little panicky. I know the nephrologists don't get panicky, but us non-nephro people, we get panicky with urine values. And... I see a urine sodium and urine osmolarity. And I'll just, you know, speak my mind right here is that what makes these values hard is that we don't instinctively know what the normal value is. We're really good with serum values, but it was the normal urine sodium. What's the normal urine osmolarity? And don't feel bad if you don't have this information off the top of your head. And of course, when you take a USMLE or board exam, they will give you the normal values. But I got to tell you, a urine sodium of 12 is pretty, I'm pointing down low. And the urine osmolarity of 96 is pretty what? Low. So now you have to take these low urine sodium and low urine osmolarity, kind of piece it together. So what are the choices over here? Well, is the cause of the hypotremia, is it hyperglycemia? Well, we all could laugh about that because I'm looking at the blood glucose. It's what? Normal. Can hyperglycemia cause low sodium? Of course, it's kind of like a pseudo-hyponatremia because when you have very high glucose in the serum, what's going to happen, all the fluid will shift from intracellular to the vessel. And what will it do to the sodium? Dilute. But that's not here, okay? Is this going to be a diabetes insipidus? That's choice B. It says nephrogenic. And whether it's going to be central or nephrogenic, there's no way This could be DI based upon the what? Oh, you guys are too smart. The sodium. Because what would the sodium be in someone's DI? It should be what? High, not low. But why did everyone think diabetes insipidus? Because of, yeah, because that lithium. It's classy causes the what? 
a nephrogenic diabetes insipidus, but it's not going to be B. Now, what about C, D, and E, polydipsia, SIADH, and volume depletion? Can all those cause hyponatremia? The answer is what? Yes, 100%. Now, when I look at this, which one's kind of you can rule out, well, it's not going to be volume depletion for a couple of reasons. You know, this patient does not look uh, dehydrated. She's not orthostatic. So I'm not feeling volume depletion. I'm not even looking at the labs yet. I'm just looking at this. Could this be SIADH? Well, sure. But does the vignette entail SIADH? Is there something wrong with the central nervous system? Does the patient have something with the lungs, like a pneumonia, like Legionella, like cancer, like small cell carcinoma of the lung? No, no, no. So, I mean, it's weird, I guess, just not even looking at the labs and urine values, I would pick polydipsia. And I know we always joke around psychogenic polydipsia, more of a board knowledge thing, but I mean, I'm kind of bullied into picking this. So let's look at the labs. Let's see what, we'll, what happens here. We do agree that all these will be associated with the low sodium in the serum. So the answer has to be in the urine. So if we go by volume depletion, what would the urine sodium be? I guess it would be low. Why? Because when you're volume depleted, you want to bring back the sodium. You want to bring back the sodium. Because who's going to follow? Water. But if you bring back the sodium in the water, what's going to happen is that the urine will look very concentrated. And if the urine's very concentrated, what would the urine osmolarity be? High. But this urine osmolarity is what? Low. It's very dilute. So it can't be volume depletion. So I'm taking that out. SIADH. Well, clinically, it does not sound like SIADH or anything, but what would the urine sodium be in SIADH? Let's say what the words mean. Anti-diuretic hormone. If you're not diuresing, you're bringing back the water. So the urine will look what? Very concentrated. It would have a high urine sodium and a high urine osmolarity. These are both what? low. So it's not going to be D. Now, polydipsia, I, I got to be honest with you folks, I've never answered polydipsia on the board exams, but if it was polydipsia, the urine would be very what? Dilute because you're drinking, 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 drinking. So the urine sodium would be what? Low. That's low. And the urine osmolarity would also be what? Low. And it is. So this pairs up perfectly. The answer here has to be what? C. <laughs> and I'm, I'm laughing because you can't see the picture. I have a picture of this gentleman drinking a big five-gallon jug of water, dude. Don't do that. So when we talk about, when do I think about uh, psychogenic polydipsia, people drink lots and lots of water to dilute the serum sodium. And this also goes hand in hand with another cause of hyponatremia known as beer potomania. And you're already asking me, what the heck is beer potomania? So maybe the people who are in, you know what, let me just talk about myself. When I was in college and uh, people drink beer sometimes, you know, and when you're in college, you can't really afford the good beer. You know, you, you get what you get when you're in college. And what, what beers uh, do you drink in college? You know, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but maybe like Coors Light or like Keystone or Paps Blue Ribbon. I mean, I think I'm missing a couple. But when you drink this really bad beer, what's going to happen? You're drinking a lot of empty what? Calories. You're just drinking lots of water. So when you drink all this, you know, empty calories, it's just like what? Psychogenic polydipsia. You're taking all this water. You dilute the actual sodium. 
So the beer, beer potomania, you got to get that history of the college student, but it's not here. And otherwise, we call it psychogenic polydipsia. And they're going to have the same values in the urine, low urine sodium, low uh, urine osmolarity. The other thing that causes hyponatremia is something called Tientos syndrome. So who gets Tientos syndrome? It's kind of like, you know, people who are older. I'm going to tear up a little bit, people with dementia. Why? It's because when you get older, you just don't eat. You just don't forget to eat. You eat weird things. You just have tea and toast all the time. So because you're not eating a lot of sodium, you're going to have hyponatremia. But, you know, the urine osmolarity is not going to be low because you're not drinking a lot. You know what I mean? So you would think just a, a normal urine sodium and normal urine osmolarity, but definitely hyponatremia. Think about tea and toast syndrome in, in our elderly friends, okay? One more sodium question I can't, I can't resist. So 18-year-old woman is brought to the ER by some friends. She is confused. She's febrile. Her friends state that she took ecstasy at a party and was previously well. Stop right there. Do they love talking about recreational drugs on your board exams? Oh, yeah. And, you know, when I took the board exams, what were things they were asking about? PCP, heroin. I mean, every board always loves talking about cocaine. But one of the drugs that we do like hear a lot about is ecstasy. And I'm not surprised there's a question with this. So let's talk about it. Patient has no other medical history. On exam, the patient is confused and oriented only to name. Oh my God. And she's what, 18 years old. She has a fever. She's 102. Her blood pressure is 148 over 94 on the higher side. She's tachycardic at 110, tachypnic at 20. And um, her oxygen saturation is 96%, but we're giving her a little supplemental oxygen, two liters by nasal cannula. The remainder of the exam is unremarkable. Which of the following is the most appropriate initial treatment for this 18-year-old who's confused, who's febrile, who seemed to took a lot of ecstasy? So before I read the choices, there's labs. So once again, if you want to see this slide, you got to go to beyondthepearls.net, especially if you're hearing this on my Beyond the Pearls podcast. So there's a B1 of 11, creatinine of 0.8. The sodium is 118. I mean, that's just monster low. And the potassium is 3.5, chloride of 88, bicarb of 21, and a glucose of 88. And they got a urine and only one thing came out in that urine. What came out was the urine osmolarity and that's 408. And that urine osmolarity is going to be what? I'm pointing two thumbs up here. So it's going to be on the higher side. So what causes patients' mental status changes? Definitely the, the sodium being 118. Maybe we got to rule out some kind of infection, but why would she suddenly develop an infection from taking ecstasy? It's probably the ecstasy itself that's causing the high fevers, you know? But let's see what the choices are. So what's my uh, most appropriate initial treatment? Well, you could give normal saline at 100 mLs per hour. All right. I mean, um, you know, patient is you know, acutely symptomatic with a low sodium, I think I'd be a little more aggressive than that. She's, you know, she, she definitely will be dehydrated. You're taking that ecstasy, I mean, you're definitely going to be dehydrated, but I don't know. Should we give her a hundred ml bolus of a very concentrated saline called 3% hypertonic saline? You know, part of the just general management of someone who has symptomatic hyponatremia, regardless of ideology, is going to be, you know, given that hypertonic saline, given that bolus, you know, and giving 100 ml bolus. So this actually is kind of like standard of care in this, you know, 18 year old who's acutely having mental status changes. So I like B, 
should you fluid restrict this patient? That sounds like a horrible idea. I mean, last time I checked, when you're taking ecstasy or you're we're on ecstasy, you're you're thirsty. You know, and if the sodium, you know, I mean, uh, if fluid restrictor, sure, the sodium will go up a little bit, but I just don't think that's the best idea right now. And she's not really drinking anyway. She's abundant. So that doesn't sound like a good idea. Tolvaptan is a vasopressin 2 receptor antagonist that we use for SIADH. Definitely would increase the sodium, but this is not SIADH and she's acutely symptomatic and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Oral urea. Is there such a thing as oral urea? Yeah, there is. I mean, you get it over the counter. We really don't use it in clinical medicine. And it goes by saying, what is serum osmolarity? Two times the sodium plus the BUN divided by 2.8 plus the glucose divided by 18. So all those make up serum osmolarity. If you're taking extra urea, then serum osmolarity goes up. And then what's going to happen is that it's going to cause that shifting of fluid over there. But I don't think taking oral urea into symptomatic patients is going to be the answer. The only one that makes sense with that low sodium is going to be what? Hypertonic. You need to make her, you have to wake her up. So these choices, B sounds like the great answer. So everyone is going to ask me, why is this patient who took ecstasy have a sodium of 118? What dropped it? Boom. So for those who can't see my slide, I put a little pictures of ecstasy there. Don't take any. And I put a picture of a rave. Don't go to one. But what happens is what dropped the sodium? So when we talk about ecstasy itself, it's a designer drug. It's very similar to an amphetamine itself. And it does two things. Number one, it causes a marked increase in water intake because it directly activates thirst stimulation. So when you watch these movies, or I don't want to hear if you take it, I don't even want to know, that um, you start drinking lots and lots of water. But what's the double whammy? Not only are you drinking lots of water, it causes an SIADH. What does that mean? The inappropriate secretion of antidiuretic hormone. So usually when you drink water, you what? You pee it out. But if you have antidiuretic hormone, you're retaining fluid, plus you're drinking fluid. What happens to the sodium? It drops. And this could happen even with a small amount of the drug. And can you die from taking ecstasy? Definitely. And there have been these reports over here. So this is a triple star high yield thing to know for the board exams and just in general. Um, so this is going to be one of my favorite talks in the whole world. And, you know, I already did this talk in one of my previous videos. So if you're enjoying this, go to beyondthepearls.net, check me out. And I do this whole thing. It's going to take like you know, half an hour, 40 minutes to do it. This is the workup for hyponatremia. I'm going to just go for the high yield um, updates when we talk about hyponatremia workup. So first thing is always calculate the serum osmolarity. I know you could, you could, you could measure it, you could order it, but we always want to calculate it. And one of the things that I added here in my new slide is that there even is a calculation for if they're taking ethanol. Ethanol, alcohol, all the toxic alcohols are osmotically active. So you know it's two times the sodium plus the BUN divided by 2.8 plus the glucose divided by 18. If they give you the ethanol level, if it's a toxic alcohol ingestion or alcohol ingestion, it's the ethanol plus the ethanol divided by 4.6. Based upon that value, you could be hypoosmolar, isoosmolar, or hyperosmolar. And if you're hyperosmolar, we talked about hyperglycemia already in the vignette. But most people who are truly hyponatremic are going to be hypoosmolar. If you're hypoosmolar, traditionally people look at the volume status. Are they 
bovolemic, hypervolemic, or the one they always ask on the boards is, are they uvolemic? Now, the problem with going by volume status is that it's very subjective. So to be more objective, we love urine studies. And my favorite go-to is always urine sodium, but the board exams is catching on to my teaching. So they're now asking about, hey, what about urine osmolarity? And that's why I put this question about the polydipsia, about the beer podomania, because you really need urine osmolarity in helping confirm that diagnosis of both beer podomania and psychogenic polydipsia. Both will have a low urine sodium and a low urine osmolarity. So what do we focus on for the people who have the uvolemic? They'll have uh, that differential, which includes SIADH, which we talked about already. Think about primary adrenal insufficiency, also known as a Addison's syndrome. And remember, when you have a primary adrenal insufficiency, you lose that renin-angiotensin system, and that's why you're going to be hyponatremic. Hypothyroidism, you know, not very commonly causes hyponatremia, maybe around 10, maybe 15% tops of people with hypothyroidism can do it. You always want to think about drugs. What drugs can make you uvolemic and hyponatremic? Well, think about hydrochlorothiazide, ACE inhibitors, SSRIs, some anticonvulsants. They can definitely do it. And then what were the things that we mentioned today? Don't forget psychogenic polydipsia. Don't forget beer potomania. Check the urine osmolarity. Both those are going to be low with the low urine sodium. We mentioned about the TN toast syndrome. Think about people, unfortunately, with dementia, elderly patients. Now, in those cases, urine osmolarity and urine sodium are going to be uh, on the normal side. But of course, serum sodium is going to be low. So this chart over here is going to be 20,000 star high yield for the board exams. Never forget hyponatremia for the boards. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Ars longa, vita brevis.